All right, you got your Bibles? By the end of this series, they're just going to flop open to Colossians. You can hold it and let go, and it's going to open right open to Colossians. So we're going to the book of Col- the letter to the Colossian church. It's towards the back of the New Testament, about a third of the way back, uh, right after the, the letter to the Philippians. So you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Right, so we had a lot of background on it last week. And uh, if you'll allow me, I'm going to do it anyway, even if you don't. Uh, I want to finish this little section that I started last week. I got excited and uh, didn't finish it. But it's, there's, there's a couple of rich things in here that I want to bring call to your attention. And I think they're super timely uh, just for the, the time in which we're living right now and what we're going through uh, just personally and as a country and more importantly as a kingdom. Because brothers and sisters... We need to always remember, we live in a country, but we are citizens of a kingdom first. Amen? And that kingdom has an impact on our country. The problem is when the country starts to impact the kingdom. When that happens, we, we need to stand up and take note. So I want to I talk to you today just about this little section, verses 1 through 8. So if you're there... Um, you got your Bibles out, Take something to take notes with. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very typical first century greeting. Verse 3. Um, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. If you've got your own Bible, I want you to underline that phrase, the word of the truth of the gospel, which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who has also declared to us your love in the Spirit." All right, last week I, I spent most of our time together on verse number 5. Let me just say this. As you look at verse number 3 there, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very typical in the, in, in the writing of a, a, a letter in the first century is they would introduce who's writing, who they're writing to, and then they would always thank the gods, little g, gods, plural. Very, very common. Paul takes that and twists it. Because he thanks the one true God, capital G, and he does that with sincerity, and, and this thankfulness to God has meaning. Last week, we looked at this reality in verse number 5, where it says, uh, or starting in verse 4, since we heard of your faith, and hopefully you got that underlined, in Christ Jesus, and of your, what's that next word, church? Love for all the saints. But notice this, 
verse 5, because of the what? Hope. hope. So you have faith, love, and hope. And here's the first thought I want to leave. I, I did this last week, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to um, do it again. But it's simply this. We need to remember this. That when you see that word hope in there, you can't define it in your brain the way you want to. If we use our 21st century dictionary, that hope carries very little weight. Because how do you use the word hope? I hope so. Sure would be nice. I hope the Falcons win the Super Bowl. I got news for you. Pretty sure you take this one to the bank. That ain't happening. Right? But what do we say? We say, well, I sure what? Hope so. Okay, so I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe that Satan, the god of this world, has hijacked certain words over time and gutted them of their meaning and weight. One of those words is love. Love has come to mean illicit sexual expression. Nothing more than a physical act. And I'm going to tell you what, it's got so much more to do with it than that. Right? That word is pregnant with truth and weight and glory. Another word is hope. Satan has gutted the word. You know what Paul meant? Okay, so when when Paul's writing this, do do you know what the Colossians are hearing? They're not hearing winging a prayer, hope. They're hearing confident, take it to the bank expectation. Not, I hope the Falcons win the Super Bowl, but more like this. I hope the sun comes up tomorrow. And that's not saying, sure would be nice if the sun comes up. That's saying, no, I am confident that the sun is coming. I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know that tomorrow morning around 6.30, that sun is going to come up. That's the New Testament first century definition of hope. Does that differ from what you and I have in our brain? Yeah, Yeah, it really does. So this hope is a confident expectation. Maybe you should jot this down. It's not a hope so, it is a no so. It's a confident expectation. And notice what Paul says. Man, we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. And because of this faith in Christ, you're trusting Christ. Because you trust Christ... You are now loving other people who trust Christ. You, you realize you're part of a larger family. So faith leads to love. Well, where do those two come from? Where does this come from? It comes from hope. It comes from hope. Because look what it says in verse number 5. And that verse number 5 begins with this word, because. Right? Because. That's the root Where's this faith and love? Where's all this love coming from? It's because of the confident expectation. And where is this confident expectation laid up? It's in heaven. It's laid up for you. It's waiting for you where? Heaven. That's what Jay talked about this morning. It brought tears to his eyes. Christ is mine for how long? Evermore. And that is a a no-so Confident expectation. And when you know that, 
When you're banking on that reality, guess what it allows you to do? It allows you to trust Christ and love your brothers and sisters. Yes. You see it? So, so the, the idea here is that hope births this faith and love. That's the fruit of this confident expectation. As, as it helps me to trust Christ more and love my brothers and sisters more. So with that in mind, he said, because of this hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And by the way, that's a good thing to lay up things in heaven. You know want to know why? Nothing can touch it. Amen. Amen. Nothing can touch that reality and that fact. What a beautiful truth that is. It's laid up for you in heaven. Now check this next statement out. Of which, of this hope which you heard before, now let's look at this phrase, in the word of the truth of the gospel. Would you say that with me? Of the word of the truth of the gospel. I, I just titled this, um, and I'm going to unpack this here in a second. I'm just calling this gospel exclusivity. Gospel exclusivity. Because there's something in here that's in here on purpose, and it's called the definite article. It's that little word, the. The word of what? The truth of what? The gospel. These are exclusive statements. It's not just any word. It's what, church? The word. It's not just any truth. It's what, church? The truth. And it's not just any gospel. It's what, church? The gospel. Paul is, why is Paul being so specific here? That this hope is based on the word of the truth of the gospel. Because these errorists, these, these false teachers are worming their way into the church at Colossae. And because they're undermining the person of Christ, don't miss it, because they're undermining the person of Christ, they're destroying the hope of the believer. When you get Jesus wrong, you lose your hope. And that was the temptation of what was happening. And then Paul is going to systematically, literally cut the legs off the table of the heresy that's being foisted upon the Colossians. And he's going to start with the exclusivity of the gospel. It's not just any word, it's the word. The word. The logos. That's a reference to Christ himself. What, it, what does it say in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And check this out. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Right? Not just a word, but what? The word. As opposed to all that is fuzzy and unclear. We have this definitive word from God. Amen? Aren't you glad that God wasn't fuzzy and God wasn't unclear? We have the word. And Paul says not just the word, it's what? It's the truth. The truth as opposed to all that is a lie, all that is a deception, all that is false. There's nothing false in this word. It is the word of what? The truth. And what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, I am what? The truth, and I am the life. 
All of this points back to Jesus. He is the Word. He is the truth. Of the Word, of the truth, and then notice this, of the gospel, as opposed to all that is not the good news, all that is in error, all that is another gospel that was creeping into the church. And that's what was happening. You see it? Don't ever lose the historical context of the Word of God because it unlocks everything. Paul's dealing with people who are undercutting Jesus and saying, no, he really isn't the second person of the Trinity that we talked about this morning in our, in our discipleship groups. No, no, he, that's not really who he is. He is something lesser than that. And in, and, and in this weird thing that was going on, this weird teaching that's going on in Colossae, he's just one of the aeons, and ions, which is another word for spiritual being. You could think angel. And he's one of these hoops and these steps that you jump through as you get higher and higher in your, your special magical understanding and your growth in this idea till eventually you get to the highest God, and that's the God. Does that sound anything like the gospel? No. Nope. It sure isn't. And Paul is reminding them of that. Aren't you glad that we have the word from God and it's definitive? And not just any word, it's the word. And aren't you glad that in this word contains the truth and nothing but the truth and the only truth? And yes, it is exclusive. And by the way, brothers and sisters, don't ever apologize for the exclusivity of the word of God and the gospel that that, that it contains. Because I'm going to tell you something. The baloney that's foisted upon you is that, well, you know, I can't do the Christian thing because it's so exclusive. Every single religion is exclusive at some point. Every single one. Even atheism is exclusive. Right? So don't, don't fall into that trap. The word of the truth of the gospel. Gospel exclusivity. Verse number 6 You'll notice this, the gospel has been brought to you. The gospel has to be delivered. Now, what is the gospel literally? Literally, it's the good news. Everyone say good news. What's the last good news you got? What's the last good news you received? Like this last week, maybe this morning. Yeah, my son, but I still haven't put a picture of that baby up. My son's baby, our son's baby, uh, Zach Jr. showed up here. How long was it? Two weeks now? He is he two, almost three weeks old, um, and we're getting daily pictures and videos, and uh, it's just wonderful. That was that was some great news to find out. Elizabeth scared me to death, so I don't know what was going on. I was super tired that night, and I don't. I normally don't go to bed till at least eleven o'clock. I think I was in bed at nine o'clock that night, which was unusual. And I put earplugs in. I live in a very loud house. Um, and so I sleep with earplugs. If I really want to sleep, I put earplugs in. So I had my earplugs in. I was dead to the world. I was in the, that third level of sleep, right? And she comes running in. And I guess you tried to calm down, but she didn't do a good job. And she, and she said, Paul, well, what do you think? I bolt up out of bed thinking I got to kill something. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what's going on. I, I mean, scared me to death. And then she said something about we have a new grandson. And it took me a while, but, you know, that was great news. Oh, we were so excited. What's, what's, what's the last good news you got? Kansas. Huh? Kansas, Kansas is good news? 
Oh, that we're, we're going to Kansas. Yes, we're, going, we're, we're planning on going to Kansas for Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's good news, isn't it? And uh, the, other, the, the, the other good news you got is right on the heels of that, that your annoying older brother is going to be flying to Colorado and you'll, you won't have him for a couple of weeks. <laughs> good news for Sam and good news for you. I think in business, Ben, they call that a win-win. So, yeah. What about you? What's the last good news you had? Ellie's coming home. Yeah, she's flying home and driving with us to, uh, she's crazy. She's flying all the way home so she can get in a car van and drive with us 15 hours to Kansas. But she misses us that much. Jack, you got your, what's your last good news you had? Um, that Anna's baby is a boy. That Anna's baby is a boy. That's right. That's a good one, Jack. Yeah, we just found out. Did I hear another hand in the back? Or was that Jack? Okay. Anna's baby is, it is, little Peter. We're going to call him Peter Kreth. That's great. So good. Yeah, Andy? Going to classical conversations. Yes. Both the beginning and end of your life. Yeah, that's hard work. I'm, I'm proud of you, Andy. Good news. Do you know that, you know, folks, have we ever stopped to ponder this fact? And it's a glorious fact when you think about it. You ready for this? You know, you know what we're saved by? We're saved by news. You ever think about that? See? That's just so overwhelmed Joseph, he just can't hold back the tears. <laughs> yeah, we're saved by what? News. Now, I know the news of what? The death, the burial, and what, church? Resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. What is it? It's, it's the declaration of this good news. Now, look at verse number six. I got to get in there. He says, so, 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 which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard, by the way, that's why I say, what do we do with the gospel? You what? You hear it. And all oh, that God would give us ears to hear. Amen. Which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, look at this, which has come to you as it also has in all the world. So the gospel has to be brought to you. It has come to you, verse number six. And notice that the pattern never changes. As it came to you, Paul says, it didn't just come to you. It's come to everybody in all the world. Now, he's, he's using a little bit of hyperbole here, but he's saying the gospel is spreading. All This news is spreading. Have you all noticed that, that when something good happens, you want to tell it? Like when, when that little baby was born... Man, I was telling every I was that annoying grandfather. Right? What do we what do we want to do when we get good news? We want to tell other people so you can rejoice with us, right? And, and Paul said, hey, listen, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Not only are you hearing it, people are hearing it all over the world. And it was, it was absolutely changing, it was a game changer for everything in that first century. So he says, the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you, as it is also in all the world, now look at this, and is bringing forth, and underline this in your Bible, what is it bringing forth? Fruit. As it is also among you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. 
And what I put there is, a, is that first part is the gospel exclusivity. The second part here in, in this verse is the gospel effect. The gospel effect. This is the effect of the gospel. Is that it is bringing forth what? Fruit. And notice what it says in there. Pretty much it's bringing forth fruit from the day you heard of it. From day one. It had a massive impact. And from day one, the gospel is doing what? It's bringing forth fruit in your life. What is that fruit? Well, he just talked about that in the previous verse. Love for the saints. That's the first fruit of the Spirit, right? Love. All of a sudden, you've got this love for your fellow brothers and sisters. And because you heard the good news, what do you think the Colossians were doing? They were telling other people the good news. And more people were coming obedient to the gospel. And so this love was exploding. This, this, this fruit effect, this gospel effect was exploding in Colossae. So much so that it exploded 10 miles away into a very wealthy city called Laodicea. And then it even jumped the river and exploded in another city called Eropolis. And three churches are birthed. Now, the problem with that is when you think churches, you think like what we're doing right here. You know, buildings. No, these were home churches. And these were small groups. Probably not, the church he's writing to probably isn't any bigger than the amount of people that are sitting in this room right now. Very small local fellowships. But it's growing and it's exploding. And these people are sharing the gospel. And the gospel is having its effect. And the effect is this, that it's bringing forth fruit in the Colossians from day one. Now I want you to write something down, and I want you all to discuss this in your Doing Life Together groups this week. And it's simply the answer to this question, what is the gospel? I want you to answer that. I want you to discuss that. And here's the thing that saddens me. I know what I preach, but I don't know what you people hear. I know what I'm preaching. I know what I believe the gospel is, and I, to the best of my God-given ability, I'm declaring that to you. But your answer to that question frightens me. Because I don't know what you're, I know what I'm saying, but I don't know what you're hearing. And I'm not going to give you the answer. But we need to know what the... Hey, we can be unclear about a lot of stuff. We can be unclear about eschatology, future events. We can be unclear about these end time things. And you know what? We'll live. We cannot be unclear about the gifts of the Spirit. We'll live. We can be unclear about many things. But brothers and sisters, we must not be unclear about the gospel. We mustn't be. And I fear that we are. I fear that we are. And here's one of the things that we're unclear of when it comes to the gospel. And it's because this is the gospel that has been preached in our churches. And it is a fruitless gospel. When you hear, truly hear, with your spiritual ear, God opens your ear. By the way, did you, do y'all realize? Y'all do realize that every one of us born deaf. We are born deaf. We have no ears to hear the truth 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unless and until God opens those ears, we will never hear it. You say, preacher, you're crazy. What are you saying? Haven't you seen it? Has it not been some of your own experience? Courtney, I'm going to pick on Courtney. She's a pastor's kid. Grew up, in, grew up in a church. Professional church kid sitting right there. I can't even begin to imagine how many times you heard with your physical ears the gospel in your growing up years until you married my son. I mean, would, would, would I be in the ballpark to say thousands of times? Easily thousands of times she heard with her physical ears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thousands. She marries my son. Gives him a beautiful son, Paul III, as if there weren't enough Pauls in this church. We got another one. And sometime after that, her, ear, her spiritual ears are opened. And she actually hears the gospel for the first time. You tell me what happened. Was Courtney just dumb? No. Maybe. <laughs> no, I hung around you long enough to know that's not the truth. She's not dumb. She's not foolish. How come she can hear the gospel with her physical ears thousands of times? But she's still deaf to it. I'll tell you exactly why. Because until God opens your ears, you never hear the gospel. And when God opens your ears, listen to me, you hear it for the first time. And if you're sitting there saying, Preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. It's because your ears haven't been opened yet. But keep coming, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, and God promises that he will open your ears and you'll hear it. And when you do, your life is never the same, is it? And the first thing that happens is the gospel bears immediate, eternal fruit in your life. Why? Because it's alive. You literally have the resurrection life of Jesus the Messiah coursing through your spirit. And it changes you from the inside out instead of the religious way from the outside in. Right? And, and, and you're a new creation in Christ. And all of a sudden you find your mouth and you start telling people. You get bold and you say, I know I've done this before. I baptized my daughter Anna and Courtney on the same day. Anna's got the same story. Grew up in the church, said the prayer, been baptized before. And all she got was wet. But when God opened her ears and she heard the gospel for the first time... He changed her life. You know how I know? The same thing happened to me. I was just like those two. Professional church kid. I had multiple chapters of the Bible memorized. I even won 
an award in my Christian school that May before God opened my ears in August. You ready for this? For the Outstanding Male Christian of the Year. You know what the only problem was? I wasn't even a Christian. <laughs> What's that mean? I was good at playing the game. So good, I didn't think I was playing the game. I thought I was the real deal. I had said the prayer. I had gotten wet. Right? I had done all those things. And I had heard the gospel with physical ears. But on August 2nd, 1982, when I sat in that brush arbor of a chapel with a, with a roof and no walls and heard Pastor Rick Schusler share the gospel that I could have got up and shared. I knew it. I had, I had shared that same gospel with other people. And I don't know how this works. I had shared that gospel as a lost young man with people and seen those people be granted hearing and actually come to faith in Jesus. And the guy that led them to faith in Jesus, me, was lost as a goose. And yet I heard that man stand up there and declare the gospel, which I was super familiar with. And what's the old saying? Familiarity breeds what? I knew it. I knew what it was. But for the first time in my life, I heard it. I heard the gospel. And the first thing that happened was I realized how much trouble I was in. And it wasn't, I didn't have to sit there and think, am, am I a follower, am I born again or not? That was, that was no longer a question. I knew I was not. And I knew that not only was I a sinner, I was a professional sinner. And that I was in trouble with a holy God. And I cannot tell you the weight of that. But I remember it. I can feel it to this day. It was a horrible thing. It was a heaviness like no other heaviness I've ever experienced in my journey since. It was a weight of condemnation justly earned. Deserving the full fruits of that. An eternity apart from God. And for the first time in my life I owned that. And I knew there was no getting away from it. I really was a sinner. And a good one at that. And God ripped all the masks off that I had worn. For all those years being a good church boy. And he laid me bare and showed me who I really was. And then an amazing thing happened. From the weight of that sin, I saw my Savior in a new light. I saw the Son of God. I could see Him hanging there on that cross. I could see Him owning my sin. Paying for something He had not earned. Shedding that blood in my place. 
because I had ears been given, granted ears to hear, it finally made sense. It was not a senseless execution of an innocent man because he took my place and I was plenty guilty. And the cross became beautiful and terrible to me all at once. And I'll never forget Rick telling us, saying this, if you understand this tonight, I want you to come forward. We got someone that wants to pray with you. Boy, did I understand it. Nothing was going to keep me in that seat. But here's what I've come to realize these many years later. And I want you to please hear this. Because I've pondered it a long time and I've read the scriptures. When did the gospel bear fruit in my heart? Long, well before I stepped out of that aisle. Matter of fact, when I stepped out of that aisle, I was a regenerate, born again, son of God. Before I ever went down and took Brother Fred's hand, and he led me out onto that called Repentance Rock, and I bowed the knee. My prayer was a prayer of thanksgiving, because God had already done the work. It was done. I got it. God got me. And that, that gospel bore immediate fruit. Immediate fruit. I had a group of buddies I hung around with. We just did stupid things. Not all of them legal. But we had fun. <laughs> but we were just stupid young men being foolish, testing the limits of the bravery of our sin, doing it together. I went right home. First thing I did is I went to my friend Eric's house. You know what I shared with him? The gospel. And I said, I don't care what you do, and I'm not going to rat you out, but tomorrow morning, which was Sunday, I'm going to the pastor's house before church. And I'm spilling my guts. I'm telling them everything, which I figured would get me kicked out of the school. At a minimum, I'd have to give the trophy back. <laughs> and I said, and I said, but Eric, none of that matters. What matters is where are you with God? And I shared the gospel with him. Shared the gospel with every one of the young men in that group that I ran around with. And two of them were baptized with me. What happened? The gospel bore fruit. That's what it does. And Paul says here in this verse, and it's bearing fruit all over the world. What's that, what's that tell me? Well, look what it says there. They heard and they knew. When you hear the good news and God opens your ears, you know the reality of the grace of God in truth. And what is the most natural thing? Fruit. What's the experience of the church today? Empty words, a prayer and getting wet and no fruit. Hey, I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. 
But even I'm smart enough to look at that verse and say, if, if, if you're telling me you've heard the gospel and there is zero fruit coming from that in your life, then you've heard something, but it ain't the gospel. Now, you might have heard the gospel words. I'm trying to preach it to you today. You might have heard about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. But if you sever the follow me part that comes after that, you don't have the gospel. They heard and they knew. News, this good news leads to knowledge. News to knowledge. Realization to relationship. To reproduction. And replication. You have to have first-hand knowledge of the grace of God in truth. And who'd they hear it from? Look at the next verse. Verse 7 tells us that. They heard it from a guy named Epaphras. As, here's the gospel. As you also learn from Epaphras. Where did Epaphras learn it from? Paul. He traveled 100 miles. Because he heard something was happening in Ephesus. And he got there and God opened his ears and he heard the word of the truth of the gospel. And he came home and it bore what? Immediate what church? Fruit. So Epaphras carries this news. It's just news. And he tells everybody in Colossae his hometown. And Paul calls says, let me tell you about Epaphras. He is our dear fellow servant. He joined the team. And look at this. And he's a faithful servant of Christ on your what? Behalf. And here's what he did. He, came, he now comes to Rome and he enters the house arrest area with Paul. And Paul says, who also, Epaphras, also declared to us your love in the capital S spirit. It's the only time the Holy Spirit is specifically mentioned. He's inferred later in this letter, but he's only specifically mentioned here. What is he saying? These people never met Paul. Only Epaphras had. And he said, but you know what, Epaphras come, came here and he's in prison with me. And you know what he's he told me? He told me that you, you, you people who never met me, you love me. How can you love someone you never met? The gospel. They heard the word of the truth of the gospel and it bore immediate fruit. And the only question is, have you heard? I don't mean with these ears. I mean, has God opened the ears of your spirit? And has he convinced you of your sin? And I know that's a little different than some of the gospel that you all have heard. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He does. But you'll never get to that wonderful plan for your life until God opens your ears and you hear these words. You, I, am a condemned sinner before a holy God and I have hell staring me square in the face and that's right where I'm headed as fast as I can go. <clears throat> There's no good news without the bad news <laughs> and don't ever try to separate it and then don't try to separate the good news from the fruit that follows it. It's a follow me gospel. Jesus did not say to those brothers on the shore that day Hey, say these words and get wet, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's not what he said. What did he say? Follow me, and I'll teach you how to bear fruit. 
It's the follow me gospel. It has an impact. If I walked in here this morning, I'm, I'm done. If I walked in here this morning and said, I'm sorry I'm late, but on my way to church this morning, coming up the hill to the spillway, when I crested that hill, there was a semi in my lane, and I hit that semi head on going 45 miles an hour. So I had to walk here, but I got here as quick as I could. Would you believe me? Why would you not? Am I not honorable? Why would you not believe me? If I hit a semi, how would I look? Pretty dead. Or at a minimum, at least torn and bruised and battered and bloodied, right? There would be some evidence to back up my claim. Can I, can I just say something to you? And then I promise you I'm done today. But you and I need to hear this. If you're telling me that you have put your faith in the resurrected Christ, that God took the old you and nailed it to the cross with Christ, buried you with Christ, and that you experienced the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, and yet there's no visible evidence of any of that in your life, pardon me if I don't believe you. Because to meet the resurrected Jesus and to be given an, an infusion of His eternal life into your mortal body through His Spirit and, 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 and to say that that has happened to you and there's absolutely no difference from you before to you now is more ludicrous than saying, I got here as fast as I could, I hit a semi and I walked the rest of the way. Don't I look great? You meet Jesus, things change. And if things haven't changed, please hear me, you have not yet met him. These people in Colossae, <laughs> things have changed. And you know why Paul's reminding them of that? Because there were some other people who wormed their way into that church that saying, it's not what you think. And Paul's saying, no, it's exactly what you think. Jesus is enough. He changed you. You have everything that you need in Christ. Your hope is secured. It's locked up for you in heaven. Nobody can take that from you. You know God jumped through any more hoops. All the hoops that needed to be jumped through, Jesus did that on the cross, and your job is to enjoy Him forever. Amen. And don't let anybody lie to you and steal that joy. So in closing today, I want to ask you three questions. Number one, this is the most important question. Have you heard? Have you heard the good news? Not just with, you heard the good news today, but have you heard it with ears that opened a dead spirit and called it to life? Are you a new man? Are you a new woman? Please be honest about it. It's, just, it's okay if you're not. Because that's the first step to understanding the gospel, to really hearing the good news. And that's how God opens your ears. Have you heard? Here's a second question. Who'd you hear it from? Because guess what? This news does not come just directly to you from God. It comes through a messenger. Who told you? A guy named Rick Schuschler told me. A guy named John Barda had been telling me for years. But all I had was physical ears. 
And in God's sovereignty, John planted, Rick watered, and God gave the increase of a regenerate spirit that day, that night, on August 2nd, 1982. That's how it works. Who told you? And here's a third question. Who have you told? Who have you told it to? Like last week. Who did you tell the gospel to last week? And I can't think of anybody. Okay. Should we be concerned about that? Because it seems to be the pattern is this good news produces immediate fruit and that fruit keeps reproducing. And I'm not, please, I'm not trying to put you under one more burden of the law or anything like that. I'm saying be free in Christ and when you're free in Christ, you'll be free to do what he wants you to do and he wants you to reproduce. He wants you to be fruitful. Now watch that fruit show up in your life. Father, we come to you this morning just loving you, thanking you. Thanking you for these Colossian believers that Paul had never met, but he loved them, and oddly enough, they loved him too. And that was fruit. Lord, I don't, I don't know who needed to hear what today. I know I needed to hear that. And I know I'm not the fruit master by a long shot. But Lord, I want to be. I'm not what I want to be yet, but I thank you that through Christ I'm not what I was either. I thank you for John Barda and his faithful declaration of the gospel, even though I didn't have ears yet to hear it. Those pegs were being pounded into my soul. And on that truth, the gospel would hang. Thank you for Rick Schusler. I thank you that right now today he's in the Bahamas preaching the gospel. I thank you most of all for Christ. I thank you that the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection and his call for me to follow him and obey him and enjoy him forever and bear much fruit. <laughs> I don't deserve any of that. But I thank you. I thank you for the word of the truth of the gospel. I thank you that the gospel is completely exclusive, that the gospel's effect is eternal, and that the gospel always has a faithful servant like John and Rick and us. May we spend time this week thanking you for the gospel, thanking you for the one that you sent through which we heard it, and thanking you for those that we have shared it with we pray that you would soon give them ears to hear. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you like that, would you do what only you can do? Would you give them ears right now to hear the beautiful gospel, the word of the truth of the gospel? May you let them see themselves for who they really are. And may they see Christ for what he has really done. And may you change them. And be pleased to bear much fruit through them. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to sing one of my favorite. We haven't done this in a long time. I love this song. And it's so appropriate today. It's called He Will Hold Me Fast.
He will hold me fast. The hope that is laid up, that's deposited in heaven for you. Nobody can take it away. And your security in Christ is not dependent on your best day. It's dependent on his best day. The cross. Anybody glad for that? I've had some bad days. Right? I've had some fruitless days. But praise the Lord Jesus Christ. My relationship to the Father has nothing to do with my works, but everything to do with his work. And he will hold me fast and produce much fruit to the glory of the Father. Would you stand? And we'll just take a minute and sing this song together as a response to the gospel that we've heard today. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my Amen. soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast, he 
Amen, saints? Go bear fruit. Go share the news and watch it work. Father, we love you. We praise Jesus Christ, your son and our only hope. We thank you that our hope is locked up in heaven and nothing on this earth can touch it. Thank you that we don't got to jump through hoops and worship angels and, 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 and walk through all this maze of man's perverted ideas. But that when you do something, you do it all the way to the end. And that we're secure in Christ and that he's going to hold us fast. And we have that confident assurance and expectation. Nothing can touch it. May we take that. May we share it. May we bear fruit, not for ourselves, but for the glory of Christ our King. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son.